In our chaotic world, everything is changing. Things change in dramatic, explosive, powerful ways. They change in subtle, invisible ways. Every action changes the world, and the world in turn changes us and makes us look at the world with new eyes and see it changed again. Moment to moment, the world is being reborn. In light of that, what is the purpose of looking back? Welcome to Sword of Symphonies. I am your host, your king, your 16th arcana. It's me, Kat. Hi, Kat. Hi, Kirsten. It is me. With me today, we have arcana number zero. It's Kirsten. <laughs> I was actually <laughs> trying to think of it like arcana number thing. And no, that, that was a good segue. I like it. I like it. And I get to have a puppy, so. <laughs> the important things. Yes. <laughs> oh. Beautiful. A second arcana shrouded in mystery and carefully guarding many secrets. It's our Kathleen. Hi there. Hello. And I always kind of pictured him as an emperor type, which would put him at number four. It's Nick. Hi, everybody. It's me. Everybody's pal. I don't know if I fit emperor, though. Oh, we'll workshop it. I don't think you need to fuse any personas from my arcana, though, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I made a mistake in getting myself started on tarot. (laughs) This isn't, none of you are to blame for this. I did it. Podcast canceled. Now it is a different (laughs) podcast. It's a uh, tarot one. Yeah, oopsie doodle. Previously on Sword of Symphonies, the party made their way to the town of Capian, a large trading hub not far from the desert where Tissa underwent her pilgrimage. They are in search of a spear, which was left, if I remember, by Cobb's old navigator in the desert. Yep, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. Tissa and Gideon had a nice date at a restaurant, and it was cute. And then they reconvened with the party after Penelope was dragged to a business meeting. (laughs) I did a business. I prefer to think of it more of as even Penelope was being polite for Tissa and Gideon. (laughs) Yeah. Penelope did, did learn. Penelope has sometimes awareness of of other people yeah sometimes that's pretty good for 19 and maybe 20 soon oh that's a very good question good question probably soon sometime soon probably soon you know what kirsten i'm not gonna tell you when penelope's birthday is because that's not my job as the gm so whenever you feel like it's penelope's birthday just let us know (laughs) Oh, oh, I will. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> well, that's ominous. That's so ominous. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We have just handed Kirsten something powerful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, when Gandalf holds the ring and he's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it is after dinner. In Capian, unless you guys would like to just skip to the morning and set on out. Most likely not going to do a whole lot, but if anyone needs to drag him somewhere, eh, he'll go. 
Well, I think then maybe we should jump to heading out. Okay. Let's. It is, as many days are in arid biomes, bright and clear. The sky here is enormous. The effect is not lost on Penelope, who is used to being surrounded by dense forest. But it's not unlike being on the ship with the sky endless to every horizon. With the exception of the southeast, where those low domed mountains that surround the coral coast are. Everything else is endless. Capian is bright and cheerful first thing in the morning. The decorations that adorn every building are somehow more brilliant in the beginning of the day. People are shouting to one another in one of the many, many marketplaces. And the docks are already completely flooded with people. I imagine that the party passes by a roadside stall... And Gideon soon has just a handful of fruit pies for breakfast. Excellent. One of which she wordlessly passes to Tissa. And one of them she offers to Penelope. Oh, thank you. They smell delicious. Captain, would you like one? That would be great. Thank you very much. Hmm. It should be noted she still has a couple for herself. Oh, obviously. Aww. She's hungry. So my question is, is Sot coming with you on this little adventure? I think Cobb would leave that up to Sot, but at the same time, I think at this point, Sot would probably want to come along. Yeah. All right. He's also got a fruit pie then. Gideon's obviously going to be feeding him. This is a similar sort of town to the kind that he knows as well, because like Tissa, he was also born in a fishing village. But there is so much to look at here that he is positively wild-eyed. I think Tissa is, too. Just every building is adorned. There's enough wind that all of the banners are fluttering. Mm -hmm. There are not many clouds in the sky, and they are moving fast. There's some sort of really high current going up above. Mm. Around this corner, there is a fountain surrounded by a mosaic of glossy blue tiles. Around that corner, there is a huge fresco of a wild rose bush adorned with bright pink, simple, humble flowers. Over here, there is a sculpture of somebody who must have been important to the town at some point. And over there, there is a sculpture of a horse. While everyone's kind of looking at stuff and being all, you know, wide-eyed at everything, Cobb just kind of turns to Sot and says, well, we've got quite a bit of hiking ahead of us, so don't get too lost. But, hey, when we come back through here, why don't we spend some time looking for souvenirs? How about that? Yeah. Well, then if you see anything you like, remember it. We'll pick it up on the way back. Um, hey, hey Captain, I've been thinking about something. And his eyes are fixed on the buildings. Hmm? Have we got a flag, Captain? We should have one. Oh. This might be a good place to get one. Yeah, you use... Was it... No, it wasn't your flag. It was your sail that turned into your coat. Hmm. Did you have a flag? Oh, yes, we did. 
I don't think I can use that design anymore, but, uh, and Cobb kind of turns to look at the back of his jacket. I think I have a new one. Mm. Yeah, pirate flags are very personal, Tissa. Sod explains. (laughs) Are they? You can't just use your old captains. You got to use your own. Mm. Here, here, here. And he reaches into his bag and pulls out a book and starts thumbing through it. (laughs) And there is one of those pages of just like the flags of famous pirates. Oh, Sod is is the best. (laughs) The book easily opens too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like this one with the gull. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Ooh, look at all the skulls on this one. Do you think that might be too many skulls? You can never have too many skulls, right? Right. (laughs) I think that's a bit much for us. (laughs) But this will keep our enemies away. Do we have Um, those? What enemies exactly? I mean, I assume we have enemies, right? Do we? (laughs) I... (laughs) Penelope, you're 19. The closest person you have to an enemy is is Rada. And, you know, like, they're actually just your friend who is sometimes sassy to you. Also, I think it would take more than skulls to keep them at bay anyway. True. True. Rada might have a flag with even more skulls. (laughs) You know what? You're probably right. And soon you reach the city gates of Capian, which are, again, full of people. There are carts, some pulled by hardworking horses, some pulled by donkeys or goats, anything on four legs that can be relied on for this kind of work, really. And there is a road. There are a couple roads, some leading north to further settlements, some leading east, presumably toward the jungle and the coral coast. And there is a road leading toward the desert. And all of them are full of people and goods and animals and life. All right, everybody, don't forget to stock up on plenty of water. Mm-hmm. Right. Cobb is not going to mention that he is stocking up as well on Switchel. I mean, Switchel <laughs> would be important when going through a warm, arid environment, but it tastes horrible. (laughs) It's fine. I mean, I think that there's a certain degree to which when Cobb says water, he might just be meaning, well, but you also put a bunch of ginger and some, like, acid in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kirsten, were you there when we made Switchel? I think I... No, No, I wasn't wasn't there yet. She came in the next couple of days. It tastes like a liquid ginger snap. Oh, okay. Then that actually sounds like it would actually be delicious. Mm. No? I wouldn't go so far as to say delicious because it, it is mostly water. Oh, okay. So like if you took a ginger snap and let it soak. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as unpleasant as it sounds by the recipe, but it... <laughs> It's not something I've ever felt the urge to return to. It does taste like an energy drink. Like, it got that much right. <laughs> yeah, it, mm-hmm. it has. Mm-hmm. It like, has that, that like, right. it tastes water adjacent, right, but there's really? something about it, and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it kind of so, tastes like a thin, like, you thin down a, uh, like, a ginger-flavored monster or something. 
No, that's worse than what it actually tastes like, I think. <laughs> I think it's um, perfectly pleasant. Anyway, sorry, Kat, you're trying to get this thing moving oh, yeah. again. <laughs> I'm torn between trying to see if I can describe the flavor of Switchel <laughs> and between moving along, which is the correct thing to do. <laughs> okay, I'll worry about the flavor of Switchel later, mm-hmm. audience. We'll but, come back to it at um, memory time. We'll come back to it at memory time. <laughs> But as you make your way along the road into the desert, the traffic slows down. There are still people. There are still communities out here. But perhaps not as many and not as many people on their way to the trading hub. The road here becomes steadily thinner until it is the width of a cart. And you are walking along basically flat portion of scrubland surrounded by tenacious trees and tough little succulents who probably seem very vibrant when it has rained recently but are currently a sort of a dim gray green there are trees that at some point in their life probably bear fruit with sturdy trunks meant to hold a lot of water and big tough thick leaves, again, meant to hold on tight to whatever water this place sees. Little olive-colored plants wind their way up beside you. They smell lovely. Some kind of desert sage. And the endless desert stretches out to every possible horizon. You could still see Capian if you turn back. Barely. And now the terrain is becoming jagged. There are cliffs. There are bluffs. There are chunks of the horizon suddenly devoured by rock formations. Or remnants of the mountains not far from here. Cobb, where was this spear? So I guess as everybody's going along, Cobb... To Tissa, but he's still kind of looking forward, just says, I think you're really going to enjoy where it wound up. It's overlooking a salt flat, a little salt flat, but if you catch it just after it's rained at night, it acts like a giant mirror, and you can see the stars on the land. And it feels almost like you're out there among them. That's why he wanted it there. That sounds perfect. Do you think it's going to rain, Captain? Well, that I don't know. And Cobb kind of looks at the sky. Maybe not. But it's still very pretty nonetheless. And you walk steadily onward. Around noon or so, around lunchtime. You find yourself passing by a small crossroads town. A larger travel route is clearly passing through the region and your path to the desert overlaps it just enough for you to find a place with a quiet little inn and an unassuming restaurant. And unless there's anything you'd like to do in a small crossroads town, I have so many plans to talk about. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just love them. I think we've been walking for a bit, so Cobb kind of adjusts the the pack on his back and says, "Hey, why don't we why don't we stop here for for lunch before we head back out? I could uh, I could use a bit of a break." Yeah. Oh, oh that sounds wonderful. Hmm. And Tissa pauses for a moment and steps a few meters or whatever the Emilton equivalent of meters are off the road and lightly tests the spines of this one really thorny kind of needly plant that sort of creeps along the ground a little bit. You learn two things. One of the things you learn is that the plant that you are poking is not as tough as it looks. Mm -hmm. The spines are not as sharp as they appear from a distance. But there's another plant nearby with very soft, woolly-looking surface. And it is much sharper than it looks. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, you don't grab onto that one. Your hand will be full of tiny, tiny needles for weeks I think Sot crouches next to you to look at these plants because he's never seen the like in his life. Not that one. Mm. Not that one. It looks fuzzy, but it's actually just made of... It's made of sharp. Mm. You don't want to touch that one. Gotcha. This one, though, it's kind of like... I don't know. I like this one. (laughs) It's reliable. You see it a lot. Gideon stands nearby, and you can probably hear a little giggle in there. And the party comes across, like I said, a little crossroads town. It is surrounded by dense thickets of wild roses. They are, I believe we have determined it is summer, which means that they are in bloom and just beginning to fade. Wild roses are so pretty. They are. I'm a fan. They form these dense, impenetrable thickets, adorned with these unassuming, humble little pink flowers. Very charming. And there is a little restaurant, which is similarly titled the Wild Rose Cafe. It's the kind of place where travelers can get a good meal. I wonder if they have rose tea. They have actually an excellent rose hip tea as Penelope discovers. Ooh, Penelope enjoys it a lot. Pulls out a scone as well from the counter. Uh, Do they sell scones? Sure, Kirsten. Yeah. You can have a scone. A savory scone and rosehip tea. The scones have a little bit of some of those various sage smells that we've gotten a little bit off the side of the road. Various sage smells, and I'm going to say like a... Very salty brined cheese. Oh, that nice. sounds so good. Sort of like something akin to a feta? Yeah. Something akin to a okay. feta or a Okay, bit. yeah. Penelope really yeah. enjoys this. The sweet yet tart of the tea and the savory scone. It's good. Yeah. Well, we found the story that Penelope will be telling now for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like sensitivity rolls, please, from everyone. Any particular or our choice? Make your, take your pick. I think Cobb's going to do sensitivity navigation. He's still paying attention to where they're going, trying to make sure that he's not leading everybody into the part of the desert they don't want to go to. Mm-hmm. 
Tissa rolls a success, an edge, and a three on sensitivity survival. And sensitivity survival arid, which I'm going to have to remember later in case I am trying to find something. Yes. Actually, you know, I think I'm going to ping Cobb's key of hospitality here. He's trying to show everybody, like, he's trying to be nice. He's trying to say, hey, look, this place is cool. You know, uh, he's not trying to march everybody into the desert. This is more of a, shall we say, um, a bonding trip. Well, let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think Penelope's going to do sensitivity... Humanity. Are there people around? Like, we're in the town now, yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're in a very, very small town. Yeah, sensitivity, humanity. Just um, people watching, seeing what's going on around. Okay. And Cobb got three successes and one edge. Dang. Yeah, that's a that's an above average roll. Yeah. That's nice. Penelope got two successes. Wow. Okay. So... Penelope is watching the people around and noticing that some of them seem a little anxious. Tissa is looking around at the environment and noticing something shady on the horizon. A couple things happen for Cobb. First of all, I think that Cobb can kind of smell it on the wind, but more than that, Cobb is on a first name basis with the weather and it's about to get bad. There's a sandstorm on the horizon. Well, and Cobb is trying to be as, I guess, not openly worried. Hey, everybody, I think we might want to hole up here for a bit. Um, here, see that? See that on the on the horizon? And Cobb points to the sort of looming haze. Oh, yeah, we should be inside, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to have to hole up for a bit. Ah, is that why everyone looks a little bit um, nervous and hurried? Yep. Now that you look, you can see people closing windows and closing shutters. Ah. And it was such a nice day. Mm. All right. Well, let's find a place to huddle up in, everybody. Get your. Okay. Let's get your. Get our stuff. Mm. There's an inn. This is a crossroads town. There's a small inn. They do not have very many rooms, but they do have a room that all of you can hole up in. And just as you all get settled into a room at the inn, you can start hearing it howl outside. There is a wailing on the wind that screams all around you and batters the tightly shuttered windows, which start to bang against the door jams, window jams. Oh, I, I, I'm I, so sorry. I also meant to ask if there's a, a stable for Polly? Oh, yeah. Okay. There is definitely a stable. There are lots of beasts of burden kind of in this area. You're on a trade route. So they've got a nice, secure stable to protect everyone's horses and donkeys and elkies. Perfect. And the wind starts to scream. As often happens to our dear captain when the weather turns bad, you start hearing a voice. You're an experienced enough navigator by now to understand that, well, what you're physically hearing is, my friends, my friend, my friend, not my friend, but 
It seems Augustine is worried. The weather and Augustine are close friends, after all, but the weather is nonetheless its own entity here in Amilta, one that no one can really control so much as they can ask favors from. Yeah, this certainly sounds like a real hell of a storm. Even Augustine is a little skeptical about this one. Uh Uh-huh. Usually doesn't say anything unless there is significant weather, but last time I heard it, uh... Well, last time I heard it, our ship, our ship ran aground. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And also you fell off the ship and I'm still not, I think, feeling super good. Um, anyway, um, yeah, no, this one is loud. This one's really loud. Well, on the plus side, there's no ship for me to fall off this time. Yeah, that's good. And the room is a little small for five of you. I think uh, Sot, being a kid, is happily seated on the floor right next to Cobb. Gideon is perched on a chair in the corner. And by perched, I mean probably sitting on the arm. Mm -hmm. There's enough seating for everybody if you get a little creative. There's a desk. (laughs) There's... (laughs) There are two beds. Mm -hmm. But it is a little bit snug. And I have a question. I have a question for Kathleen. Mm-hmm. Were there any sandstorms during Tissa's pilgrimage? Yeah, there were a couple of storms. There were a couple of sandstorms that she only got close enough for it to be really inconvenient, but not enough for it to be dangerous. Because the real dangerous storm that she encountered was the big downpour out of nowhere. Flash flooding nowhere to escape to instant mud. So I think Tissa knows better than anyone in the party what it's like out there. Mm-hmm. I hope no one has to dig out too bad. Uh, d- dig out? Um, well, the storm doesn't take all of the sand with it. Oh. So it, like, buries the town? Uh, probably not. Probably not? I couldn't see how big this one is. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I guess it's good we're in here. Hmm. Would have been really dangerous if we were further out. And that voice, Tessa, you know the one. The one that doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. Has a question for you. Mm-hmm. And that is... Do you think you could do it again? Tissa straightens up, and a little more confidently this time. Well, I could do it, yeah, is the sort of general thought. Yeah, of course Tissa could do it again. She can navigate. She can walk. She's even met Hector before. She knows the signs to look for. It would be easier. She'd just have to keep going and be patient again. Not to Hector this time, then. To that place near the mountains. In the shadow of the rocks. You remember it, right? And you do remember it. It could very well have ended up being your resting place, after all. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's hard for a person to forget their own grave, even if they don't decide to use it. Mm-hmm. Could you go back there? And this one is a harder sell. She gets slightly stiff. Mm, Tissa? You doing okay over there? Gideon reaches down from the arm of the chair to kind of oh. tentatively lay a hand on Tissa's shoulder. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I was thinking, I guess. Mm. Are you worried about the storm? Not this one. I think we should see if anyone needs a little bit of help afterwards, because... I mean, we're we're here. We ought to help. But, um... No, I'm not worried about this storm. Hmm. Hmm. So you mean there's another one that might be coming that's bigger? Oh. Uh, and I guess the storm that already happened is the one that I'm worried about. So... That one already happened, though. Oh... Oh, I... Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um... You've never told me about your pilgrimage. I mean, aside from when you met Polly? No, I guess that's true. I never really... I never really did. I mean, looking back, probably wasn't it as prepared as I should have been. I mean, surprising, it's me, I know, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, there were some moments that I didn't get through because of any skill. It it happened to just be luck. If things hadn't turned out a certain way, and it was of no doing of my own, it just happened to get lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Gideon doesn't say anything, but she does get up off the chair and pace a little bit. Are you thinking about your pilgrimage? It's hard not to on a day that smells like this. And we're waiting. And just a stands up and sort of brushes Gideon's shoulder. Sorry. No, it's all right. (laughs) Sometimes we can't help it, after all. Mm. But, you know, that kind of makes me wonder, and she stretches. I wonder if anyone's ever prepared, really. You know, I guess that's the thing. Maybe you're not prepared for it until you've gone through it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And within a couple hours, the sandstorm dies down and the wind stops screaming at all of you. And eventually you can hear the loud wood-on-wood noise of shutters being taken off windows and the harsh scraping of shovels against sand. Shovels, brooms... The uh, sort of waking up of all of the various animals, both 
livestock and wild, sort of checking in on everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think Penelope follows Tissa's advice and is going to try to help as best she can. Oh, yeah. And it's not bad. There's just like a couple inches left that need to be kind of swept away from doors. Mm-hmm. Sweep away from doors, sweeping off eaves and uh, making sure there's not too much accumulation on roofs. Mm-hmm. And I think Penelope can, like, help check in on the livestock, too. Yeah. Their reactions are varied. Most of the horses are extremely anxious, as is the way of horses. Mm -hmm. The oxen, too. The goats seem to be native to this area and seem a lot more chill with it. They're they're like, eh, been here, done that. (laughs) Yeah. Polly is livid. Aww. Oh, she's mad. Oh, she's so mad. She shakes her antlers at you. She stamps her little cloven hooves. She's mad. I'm so sorry, Polly. I know it must have been really scary. Um, were there were there apples in the inn? I mean, you can go find her some, yeah. I think Penelope finds a couple apples and is here. And Polly will sulkily take an apple. They're kind of small out here. She's sort of like gets it all in one big bite, tossing back her head. Yeah. <laughs> Little apples. And I think Penelope brushes her coat to get the sand out and if there's any little bits of sand that got in it. Yeah. yeah. Tries her best. She shakes her wings out and a little flurry of sand falls out. She stamps at you again. I know. I know. I'm sorry. But I, I think it's over for a while. I don't think there's another one coming for a while. She reaches down her head to give you a shove. Hey. Hey, I know, I know. (laughs) Here, here, I brought two. I brought two apples. Have another. The second apple, she is less sulky about accepting. There you go. You know Polly, she's very food motivated, much like her best friend, Penelope. (laughs) Perhaps I should ask Tissa, I'm not familiar with taking animals through the desert. Perhaps there's like a, a better blanket I could get you or something. If we're going in somewhere sandy, that'll help keep you less sandy. And when the shutters are off the windows and the windows to the inn are opened, Penelope has already noticed this, so has Tissa, but the sky is a crystal clear cobalt blue as if it never happened. Which is almost insulting, really. (laughs) Certainly doesn't seem fair. Cobb just kind of looks at the sky and... uh, Ain't that always the way? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's do what we can around here and then and then get a move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some minor tasks to be done, but for the most part, the people of the village are content to do their cleanup. They're grateful for the help, of course, but nothing needs any catastrophic repairs, which Cobb may find worrying. Well, given what he heard during the storm, but I'm not the one who gets to decide what Cobb is worried about. And Tissa may find it worrying that the sky here changes as quickly as it does. But again, I'm not in charge of what Tissa worries about. I'm more in charge of what Tissa worries about than the rest of you. (laughs) But I'm still not in charge of what Tissa worries about. And then the GM stops thinking. 
My mind is like a blue sky, completely devoid of clouds. Even though there were thoughts there just moments ago, they vanished. Just the subtlest of gradients as you look up and up and up. Yeah. Pure Maya blue at the very apex, down to Coventry blue at the horizon, and yet... <laughs> no delineation between them. No boundary marker at which one could say, this is the light blue and this is the bold blue. No. Only blue. And it's time to get back on the road. <laughs> uh, Tissa rolls her shoulders and asks, um, do you have a map yet? Or is it mostly we're just continuing to go mostly northish for now? Yeah, I know where we're going. There's a we're gonna go north for a bit. Um, there will be a, a small outcropping of, of various plants, and then we'll go a little northeast from there. And well, we should get to the salt flats, and well, not too long. Mm. And as you walk toward the salt flats, as soon as your path begins to turn east, you do notice those southeastern mountains swelling in your vision. The great wall that holds back the jungle. So the desert can be what the desert is. It's very own type of beautiful place. And that voice is ever present now. Like the sand on the air and falling off the leaves of every tree that you pass. There's this particulate presence in your mind, Tissa. That wonders things as you wonder things. And that always seems to feel as if it is grabbing you by the ear and turning your head to look southeast. At, well, to be honest and to shed all of the implications and the trickery, at the other Daleth you could have met. At the other god that could have saved your life in those days. At the time you were so alone and yet... You were surrounded by boundless divinities, which the voice that accompanies you doesn't think sounded particularly fair. And as night falls over the desert, you start to reach those salt flats and some large imposing cliffs cast the kind of ice-cold shadows you can only really find in arid environments. And it might not be a bad idea to set up camp. Because as I think Tissa will tell any of you, the desert is about to change its face. Oh. While we're setting up camp, I think Penelope is going to rule an adaptability discovery rule. That is something yeah. useful for desert stuff. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> one-edge success. One-edge success. Penelope's not in her element at all. <laughs> Can I make a proposition? Yes. Some, like, prickly pears? Okay. Some fruit that is edible, but that is going to just fill Penelope's hands and face with thorns unless she's careful. <laughs> you know what? I think Penelope <laughs> would probably struggle through the thorns to get said delicious fruit. Okay. So Penelope returns to camp with an armload of spiky little cactus fruits. 
Look what I found. And Penelope, you're supposed to pull the thorns off first. They're really early. I bet they're going to be really sour. Oh. Oh, goodness. Would it be better to, to, to like, turn them into a, a, a sauce? Like a like you could do with apples? Ooh, yeah. But you have to filter out all the thorns. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you can't eat those, Penelope. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem like it would be very... Did you try to eat one with the thorns on? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Is that why you're being like that with your arm? Oh, um, I may have, I may have gotten a little overexcited in, in picking these. Um, mm. <laughs> here, and I think then Penelope sits down and like starts to remove thorns the best she can. Also, Penelope, don't you have several knives now? You can just peel them with those. <gasps> I do have knives. Penelope forgets you- all about the thorns still, uh, prickles still in her arm and pulls out the knife from her, uh, the, from the leg holster and starts peeling. Rad your fingers. The, the, there's oh. spines in oh. your oh, finger. Yeah. There, never mind. You'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, while Penelope does that, Cobb is actually going to roll adaptability survival to maybe, like, try and dig out a little place just in case the winds come back. Yeah. And Cobb gets three edge successes. Wow. Ooh. Okay. If you keep the edge successes, I promise you will be sheltered from the wind. <laughs> a butt. <laughs> A butt. You know, I think we're going to take that because Cobb is maybe a little distracted while he's doing this, watching Penelope um, locked in mortal combat with these prickly pears. <laughs> so Gideon Gaius Merciful is working on getting the fire going. Except something is slowing her down. She keeps looking up at the west where the sun is setting and sighing a little before shaking her head to clear away whatever she was thinking about and get back to her work. I only say this because she's the one who has the engineering skill to notice that as Cobb digs, something in the ground is about to give way. And I would like adaptability roles from everyone Preferably athletics. All right. Cobb got two successes and one edge success. Penelope got the opposite. Two edge successes and one success. Just one success from Tessa. Okay. That's what I wanted from everybody. So Cobb's shovel strikes the ground. And suddenly it begins to crumble. Oh, That was not according to plan. And an area the size of a barn begins to fall into the earth, piece by piece, slowly enough that Cobb, who is a quick fellow for his size, can get away. Come on, everybody out, everybody out. Cobb, like, grabs Sot as as um, he heads out, heads away from the 
apparent sinkhole that we were sitting on. And Tissa and Penelope are far enough away that I only wanted one success from them. Pollyanna takes to the sky and flutters above the hole in the ground, curiously. And there is, beneath this area, an enormous subterranean cavern. Larger than the barn, and it carries on for a good long ways. At least as far as you can see, and you can't see very far. The sun doesn't reach this place. Oh, he better not have known about this. He probably did. <sighs> Even now he's getting me. Who? Our, our navigator, love him to death. Um, he was a bit of a jokester. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the best kind of pranks are pranks you can pull even when you're not there. I guess. <laughs> and, my friends, the good news. The good news is that it is silent down there. You can't hear the rushing wind. The bad news is that above ground, you can, and you can see another one on the horizon. And now I think it's memory time. So I have two things. When you were asking Tissa about being able to do the pilgrimage again, and then being able to go to that place again. Yeah, I don't know the right word for it, but I really felt that like the strong emotion attached with it of like it was just a very intense and deep question. And I don't I I liked that. And then I also liked Nick describing Penelope's uh cooking as engaged in mortal combat. <laughs> <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the scene at the end. That was cozy. We love a cozy in scene here on Sword of Symphonies. We do. Also, I have to say, I was not expecting... Uh, Nick, as well as Cobb, was not expecting the caverns under the salt flats. No. <laughs> I play a lot of video games. <laughs> <laughs> is there like a... When it like... Kirsten. The entrance is open? No. <laughs> <laughs> Could there be? <laughs> you, you sounded so dejected to know that no, no, there is not a Zelda fanfare. Alas. It's it's more of the Chrono Trigger fanfare. <laughs> hmm. I enjoyed Tissa realizing but not quite saying that, oh, she could do her pilgrimage again. But... It's not just her. Yeah. It's not. I did really like that as well. I thought that that was a, a rare glimpse of a confident Tissa, which uh, is a foil rare that you don't <laughs> pull very often. Just a very special glimpse of confident Tissa. <laughs> Shiny Charizard Tissa. <laughs> Shiny Charizard Tissa. Listen... I just love talking about TCGs. Mm -hmm. Listener, if you love talking about TCGs. And Pokemon. And Pokemon. And Pokemon. You can basically at cat. You can do it. Like anytime. <laughs> we 
or any of the rest of us at Peach Garden RPGs on Twitter. Yep. Or you can find us on the Heroic Discord. There's a link in our pinned tweet on Twitter. Or the Be Gay Roll Dice Network Discord. We would love to talk to you there. If you check out our website, peachgardengames.com, there's an email form you can use to get a hold of us. There is information about the show. There's some ARC recaps. There's all kinds of stuff there, including links to our Kofi and Patreon. In case you want to throw some money our way. Or shiny Pokemon cards. Or shiny Pokemon cards. And also, we love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. See you next week, everybody. Bye. 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 Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. <laughs> Need a new gay found family podcast? We're a queer led actual D&D play. G- nope. <laughs> <laughs> We're a queer led actual play D&D podcast of four best friends who are currently playing. Hold on. We're a bunch of queers playing D&D for a podcast. We're lifelong friends. We have space travel, magic technology, heist, horses, and a really gooey goblin. I'm stealing all of your stuff. I'm just going to say this entire ad. (laughs) We have great bonus content with the first episode of each arc available for free. (laughs) And the entirety of the first arc, the Bone Rattlers. Uh, Yeah, each arc... (laughs) is set in a excuse me each art is set in a in-universe history podcast about each planet in the planetary system there's more than one we have a bunch of episodes available for binging and wonderful characters to fall in love with and hate including some jank horses (laughs) we have multiple arcs out that follow the story of Val a trite (laughs) ten Val the Triton, an interplanetary <laughs> criminal and MLG gamer. Uh, horse rider extraordinaire. Xerxes, a murderous demon that likes to wear dad hats. And sometimes uh, rides a night horse. horse. Patches, a part-time old lady, full-time ooey-gooey cyborg goblin, and her trusty rusty steed, Horus. And Adam, the small boy technomancer, and their journey as they grow and discover uh, the truth to their pasts. I was going to be mad because I didn't do a character voice, and then I was like, no, (laughs) I did. Magic Magic Dagger, Dagger. if If the the true treasure treasure isn't isn't friendship, friendship, I'm I'm going to be be mad. I'm going to be mad. If treasure true, friendship bad? (laughs) 